Last week we were talking about signs of spring and Terence, Terry Flanagan is with us now. Terry, you mentioned that the great hit is the first sign of spring for you. Well, it is for me, Derek. I don't mm-hmm. know about other people. To me, when I hear that, that call, that distinctive call in springtime, generally in the, in the start of February, to me, that's always the, the, the real first sign of spring. I know you'll hear other birds. You'll hear the, the starlings and the sparrows and the robin sings throughout the winter. But then you're out for a walk and up high in the trees, you hear this very distinctive call of the great hit. And I, as far as I can remember, it was the very, very first call that my father taught me. Really? Be- the, because it's an easy one. It's so simple. Teacher, teacher, teacher. And you ended up being a teacher, teacher, teacher. I don't they're think always it was because high of that. up in the trees, aren't they? Well, I've always found them very, very high up. Whereas the, the, the robin, you'll get much, much closer to the ground. And when the sparrows, you'll get them in the hedgerow. But the great tit... I always think of him as being the highest bird in the trees and always <laughs> amazes me because he's one of the smallest birds. Mm. So, But yes, I always find him high up in the trees. Well, I, I managed to hear my very first one and record my first one last Saturday in Merino in Dublin. Three I was over there, got out of the car and the first thing I heard was a great hit. I wonder was it because you had mentioned it to me and then it was on playback on Saturday morning. It was in my mind that I actually heard it. But here it is. But as soon as I get under the tree, you will hear like always the birds stop singing. But you can hear it from a distance and then I get closer you hear a little bit louder and then it just stops have a listen wood pigeon in there also take two John take two So that's the great hit in Merino, Nile Hatch. I always like to call that the bicycle pump song because that's what it reminds me of, um, the squeaky bicycle pump. And it is one of the easiest bird songs to, to learn. It's something that uh, when I'm doing dawn chorus walks and leading groups around, it's one that I always like to focus on because it's one that you can reliably identify. It's just one of many different sounds that great tits make. They're actually vocally very complex. They have a ro- very wide repertoire and we know that they'll sing that teacher-teacher song for a while and then they'll switch to a different song, I might throw an extra note in or maybe mm-hmm. a completely different song. We know that the neighbouring great tits in uh, neighbouring territories, they're listening to that and they will then change their tune, literally, and start singing that other song. And this goes in waves across the woodland. So it's very complex communications going on there. And we also know that when the birds are singing the song, even though each bout of teacher, teacher, teacher might sound the same to human ears, when you slow them down, you look at them on a, on a spectrogram where you're a visual representation of what the song looks like, there's actually loads of variation in there, which the great tits presumably can hear and detect, even though the human ear can't. So there's a lot more going on there than meets than the we ear. we think, yeah. Absolutely. Now, we know a lot about great tits, thanks to the researchers and scientists at Oxford University who've been studying them at Witham Woods. That's an estate which is managed by the university. And this is one of the longest studies in the world, as I understand it, of any particular bird species. And it's been going for 75 years now or thereabouts. It's it's coming almost seventy seven now because um oh it was, my yeah it was it was it was started um the, the very first egg that was monitored as part of that that long running survey was on the twenty seventh of April nineteen forty seven and such a common species the great tit. It is, and, and, and I think you know that, that that's really interesting too because a lot of people would think that a lot of research would be mostly focused by universities on rare species, but you can actually tell so much more by studying the really common species. Of course, 75 years ago, they couldn't have known that it would still be a common species today. Luckily, it is. But what they're finding, I think probably the, m- the most telling thing of all about this study is because it's been going for so long, they've been able to see really with the impact of climate change. Back in the 1940s, it was not something that was on anybody's radar. Uh, the very earliest uh, instances of it may have been happening, but it wasn't 
wasn't identified at the time. But as time has gone on since then, we've seen this really affect these great tits in this study. And it's, it's absolute proof of this. They're now nesting around three weeks earlier than they used to 75 years ago. And that's a directly as a result of climate. All great tits or just the great tits in that woodland? Well, the great tits in that woodland. We know now there are other studies have been done elsewhere, but not over such a long period of time. There's Nobody has studied birds, a species like this in, in such detail as in this study. Uh, but we, we are seeing that, yes, you know, from other surveys, surveys, we're seeing that grey tits and blue tits and all these other birds, especially the ones that rely on caterpillars and other insect larvae to feed on, they are nesting earlier. And the, the thing, of course, is there that they try to time their nesting, so the hatching of their eggs, for the peak emergence of the food that they're allowing to feed those chicks. And for grey tits, it's caterpillars. Uh, so they want to make sure that there's a peak number of caterpillars at the time when their chicks are hatching out. And for that two-week period, two-and-a-half-week period when they're feeding their chicks, they need to make sure there's an abundance of caterpillars. There's only so far, though, they can actually adapt and how quickly they can do that. And if the climate change continues the way it is and then we get the butterflies and the moth caterpillars emerging earlier and earlier it will get to a point, presumably, where the great tits can no longer cope with this. And that could be very serious for them. So amazing we see this from this study that we actually have proof of this over such a long period of time. It's brilliant. Richard. Yes, the great tit is the world's most studied bird, apparently. No other bird has received the same attention from science as the great tit, and it deserves it. The great study, of course, was done by John Krebs in in Oxford, and it, of course, established all kinds of interesting things about great tits. For instance, you mentioned that it's singing now. Great tits marry first and then sing, whereas most birds get onto the territory and they sing and this attracts the lady in and so forth. But in this case, the great tit teams up with her in the flocks and then when he has a property, only then does he start to sing. Richard, that's very interesting that they actually pair off before they do any singing. So I presume the reason why they're singing is to proclaim a territory if they're not going to attract a mate. Yes, that's one of the conclusions. Birds were generally thought to both sing to attract to attract a mate and to establish the territory. Then, for instance, the sedge warbler does the opposite. He sings merrily on the territory, but once he marries, he shuts up. He doesn't find marriage very nice, I suppose, and he's sorry he married, and he stops singing, for instance. So that establishes that singing, at least, is involved in acquiring a territory, as evidenced by him. But the great tit marries first and then sings. This separates the two functions conveniently for us. With most birds, we don't know whether the singing is about marrying or property owning. So are you suggesting that the bird I heard singing in Merino the other day had already tied the knot? Yes, I, I would assume that he has. Otherwise, very you early. see, they're very conservative. It, well, is it? Um, I suppose. But things are all up the creek now, the way um, the, the climate is going and so forth. And remember, the great tit is a very, very resourceful bird. He can adapt very well to any and exploit any sort of situation. So the, the literature says that. I mean, I haven't verified any of this myself. But looking at the various studies, it seems to establish this, that the great tit is married before he sings. It's only about declaring territory. You could go back to the same place and see if he's still there. And if he is and the cat hasn't got him, well, that will confirm it for you. Well, I might just do that anyway. I'm not too pushed on whether or not it has a mate. I was just delighted to hear the great hit singing as had been pointed out by our colleague Terry Flanagan last week.